I absolutely consider this a third space. We're not sponsored yet. We aren't sponsored. I don't do this for money, but I would. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if people wanted to give us money. Yeah, if people wanted to like throw money at me. Make checks payable to <laughs> Yeah. Redwood Soundwise. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Zach. This is Matt. And today we're talking about the 2023 buddy cop film about redemption, self-love and actualization, Renfield. It follows Nicholas Holt's Robert Montague Renfield as he realizes his potential outside of being Dracula's familiar and teams up with traffic cop Rebecca to take down Dracula and a New Orleans crime family. So it's pretty wacky. This one uh, is one that we had watched earlier when it kind of came to streaming services together. I was pleasantly surprised at how it kind of skirted around camp and played much more into the comedy realm. For sure. You want to know what my favorite part of this movie is? The casting. Nicolas Cage's portrayal of Dracula, which I guess is casting. But specifically, what I want to highlight is the fact that Dracula is imperfect and is shown as imperfect. The beginning of the film shows him absolutely getting destroyed, but not (laughs) completely, uh, by the hunters. Obviously, he does a little bit of destroying himself, but he does get burned up. So, like, he loses that fight, kind of. But the way that Nicolas Cage plays him is so unempathetic and is so pure in its villainy that no other Dracula has really hit on. And we actually talked about the purpose of vampires in previous vampire episodes, which is that the vampires, they're not necessarily evil. Bella Lugosi's Dracula is not necessarily evil. That is just how that type of animal survives. The same way that humans have to eat cattle or all of those Draculas have some sort of purpose that is more survival or propagation oriented rather than being explicitly evil. But they kind of make a joke of the villainry throughout this film by having all of the villains, Dracula and the mother of the crime family, they just want to be evil. Yeah. Like, they are just cartoonishly villainous. And I absolutely adore that kind of take on the Dracula mythos. Like, Dracula is just evil. He just wants to be evil, and he wants to have fun. And I honestly, I don't need another motivation. I don't need you to redeem this villain or make it seem like his villainry has some sort of point. I just want him to be cartoonishly fiendish because he's being played by Nicolas Cage. Right. He says his vision for the world is that humans play one of two roles, and that's followers or food. So that's pretty evil. What's interesting is, you know, Nicolas Cage kind of has this policy of not taking roles that are not leading roles. And Dracula is very much a... Not the leading role here. It's a supporting role. The reason that he took it is because he has always wanted to play Dracula. I think that this was kind of the perfect outlet for that to happen. What's interesting about the Dracula role and like kind of the mechanics of it in this is that he doesn't really seem to drink the blood. He more it's more like he subsists off of the lives that he's taking. Oh yeah, for sure. I definitely see where you're coming from with He's that. not really draining anyone. Like he'll bite necks and stuff, but it's like he'll take one bite and then it's on to the next person, whatever. And like he does have the blood bags in his little lair. 
but mm-hmm. I feel like it's almost that life force that he's taking that like. Yeah, he's much more devilish when he's talking about like his favorite food source and the whole thing is he wants the bus full of cheerleaders, yeah. which I think is such a hilarious he needs innocent lives. Yeah, and that's such a hilarious moment because in every horror movie ever, it's like who's who's subject to the villainousness? Well, it's high schoolers on buses. He's basically doing a Jeepers Creepers two, and in this case, he's just like, it's not about the big girls. It's about <laughs> don't the make it a sexual innocent. thing. <laughs> yeah, don't make this. Yeah, and it's about instead the innocence of the lives because the purer they are, the closer they are to God, and he is in his evilness, the antithesis to God. He is an undead, so he has beat God's plan for the finality of life and death. Doesn't he say something like Hail Satan at some point, too? He does say Hail Satan at the very end when he's trapped in the cocaine circle. He says Hail Satan, and then they beat the shit out of him. So it's like he is much on the side of villainy. And that cartoonish level of villainy is so fun and so refreshing. So refreshing. I'm so yeah. tired of vampires needing to be made kind of redeemable or like, oh, he's just an animal and these are his instincts and we should kind of feel bad for him. It's like Nick Cage is just like, and I'm a bad guy. And I love that. I love that about this movie. I think that that's what makes vampire in this movie, the act of vampirism and even the act of using the familiars so much more engaging and so much funnier in juxtaposition to the kind of self-actualization that is driving Renfield. Right. And that that's what's like really great about this movie, I think, is that even though it is a horror comedy, almost more like an action movie, like this buddy cop film that we talked about, it's so much about Renfield. It's so appropriately named Renfield because it is about his journey away from Dracula and it's because Dracula is evil and it's about his relationship and his abusive relationship. So it's really because this movie is trying to accomplish what it is, there is no choice but them to make Dracula really, really evil because he is mm-hmm. this abuser. And he'll he'll say things like, you're the monster Renfield, not me. And like, who put these ideas in your head? It's like very classic. Gaslighting. Yeah, it, it's gaslighting. It truly is. And like he even says their rules offer, confu- their rules being like society, rules offer a confusing tangle of morality. My needs are the only thing that matter. <laughs> Come yeah. on. It's literally like the, I'm the only person that can protect you. And then Renfield goes, oh, I think he really means it this time. Like he really cares. And you know, he really thinks that I matter. And Renfield's entire purpose throughout there's kind of this mantra which is that he's trying to become a better person he is a codependent person and he says that he's not a good person when he's talking with aquafina at his apartment after and he says that he knows that he's not a good person but he wants to be a good person which is so funny because the next thing he does is jump from a balcony and split a man in half (laughs) A, a man who's like I'm pretty sure a cop, right? He's just a corrupt cop. The juxtaposition of what is good in a world that is entirely immoral is so funny because we have Aquafina, who of course is she is lawful good. And then right. there's and then there's Dracula. Dracula who is chaotic evil. And then you have Renfield who's kind of like stuck in the middle. 
he's like chaotic neutral. Yes, familiar powers are just like insane. And the scale of them is hard to determine. It really is because some of the other mob guys that Dracula turns into familiars seem to be less. It's is it like determined by how many bugs you eat or what? Because Renfield has like a right. bunch of bugs at that point. Yeah, and also he gets his stomach slit open and his organs are falling out for like the like the first ten minutes of the movie. Well, I think that is the only reason he healed from that is is because of Dracula's blood healed him. But it didn't immediately kill him, so well, I feel like you would die pretty fast. Yeah, there's probably some kind of regenerative. But also, nature. you know, we have to consider the fact that Renfield is practiced, whereas these other familiars are unpracticed. Right, and also getting their bones completely shattered by Renfield. I love that Teddy snorts the millipede. <laughs> oh, it's so disgusting. That's actually, of all the gore in this movie, that is the most disgusting thing in this movie. It's such a clever way to do that, though, and is it so is. important and relevant to that character. Yeah. I think that Ben Schwartz was the perfect opposite to Renfield in this movie because he's already a familiar. He's the son of the person to whom he's the familiar, but he's already a familiar in the movie. He's already codependent. Yeah, he's already codependent with his mother. Right, and he's scared of her, and he, it's so funny when Renfield is trying to talk him out of it. He's like, you know, you, you become his slave, and he goes, no, master said and He just has this moment of realization. I think he's a well-written character because he starts as comic relief, and then you realize that there is this whole dimension of this, this crime family that this organization that he's a part of and he's really just a cog in that machine and he remains a cog because he proves himself not strong enough to literally pull the trigger well and i also think that he's an interesting character of complacency because you have renfield who was complacent for so many years with being dracula's familiar but is kind of moving away from that and or has always had some sort of ill feelings about being as familiar like his hesitancy when the um when the hunters come in the beginning like he's very clearly hesitant like mm -hmm. he knows that he could be free so it even in being Dracula's familiar at that point, he is hesitant, whereas Teddy's version of hesitancy is non-existent. And instead, he's just like, yeah, I'm a familiar. Sick. <laughs> like, his his entire personality in and his codependency is a little bit more of an active codependency. Like, he's, he's not passively codependent like Renfield is. He's like, no, I want us to be in a relationship together, and I want that relationship to be master and familiar. That's why I want this relationship to work, and that's how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm all for you being in charge and me just getting to be like, cool, cool, superpowers. Right. Such different levels of codependency that is a testament to the way that this film deals with varying relationships relationships familiar relationships between aquafina who and uh, her sister in this movie the relationship between aquafina and renfield the relationship between aquafina and teddy because they have an adversarial relationship but it's not like a violently adversarial relationship i think that the fact that you know their air quotes enemies throughout is really important but they've kind of got like a batman and joker vibe going on because they don't kill each other and they it's like they're not trying hard enough to kill each other she just wants to get through him i think yeah i think rebecca just wants to take down like he he is the tool for her to take down the crime family the lobo family right yeah. And so she can't kill him. Also, she's like a, actually a good cop. She doesn't want to kill people. And I think Teddy is afraid to kill people. I mean, it's become very clear. It's actually like a big plot point. And I don't think he ever 
like even when he does have familiar powers, he doesn't kill anyone. Yeah, no, he has a he has a, a sidekick do it. Yeah, I think that in Teddy's world, he's not trying to kill anyone. He just wants to observe and play in the hierarchy. I think he's having fun with the hierarchy. Yeah, I think he just likes doing coke I... and being protected, <laughs> being free of the law. <laughs> I love that they do a Shanghai noon in this movie where she's behind the pillar. She's like, damn, I'm out. <laughs> it's like so fake. Pulls out a shotgun. And he's just like, what the? His character is interesting. I also like how Lobo is the crime family last name because what does Lobo mean wolf. in Spanish? It's wolf. And like, what is Dracula? The Dracula fable say that Dracula turns into a, a wolf. Bat. Also a bat, but... <laughs> Flater Mouse uh, when the Flater Mouse family doesn't have the, quite the same ring to it. So yeah. Yeah. Also, I feel like a bat would have been a little bit too on the nose because they do have the wolf uh, like insignia for the family. Mm -hmm. So I yes. think that having a bat would have been like, oh, yeah, well, Dracula's going to end up here, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> Creatures of the Night, what sweet music they make, refers to both the wolf and the bat because uh, Dracula's, uh, the, the knockers on <laughs> Dracula's castle like the door knockers are wolves in the original movie. <laughs> yes, the door knockers. Don't laugh. <laughs> well, I also like, just speaking of the original movie, I really like how they superimpose Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage into the Dracula sets. So good. It, they're like straight shot for shot from the movie. So reverent, and, and too. And what's funny is like that just came out of, oh wait, no, it's it's not. Uh, it's 1931 it's not public domain yet it's got like two years which is funny because you know they could have waited to make this movie. well it's also funny because this movie was supposed to come out in like 2021 i think and mm -hmm. it kind of went through production hell for a little bit it's because the mummy the tom cruise mummy did so poorly um, um is this the is this the vampire entry into that no Universal it's reboot? it's just no <laughs> no it was dracula untold remember right. it's it's oh, because right. yeah it's because studios were like uh maybe a dracula movie like any universal monster movie is like maybe the time is over for that or something um mm -hmm. even though this is very very different and not to say this wasn't a flop because this was a box office flop, even though I think that I think Undeserved. the release was just poorly timed because I think that this is like this is actually a really good movie. Um, it I is so kind of cheesy, but I really like it. I think that this is a fine enough entry into the kind of culty, campy horror comedy canon. I mean, like some of the jokes are kind of cheesy, but a lot of them really land well, I think. I think a lot of the jokes are cheesy, but also the characters that they're coming from are cheesy. Right. Every, everything's overdone. And it's like, and like the action is just really gratuitous. Gratuitous. I think if you just take it for what it is and just accept it and kind of like Renfield accepts himself, it's just a fun ride, you know? Yeah, it is a fun ride. And one that I would ride again. Yeah. I mean, we've ridden it twice now, so. I've seen it like six times <laughs> well i've written it i watched twice. it with my i watched it with my with my dad um a couple of times too i just think that this is a really successful kind of horror comedy and it's obviously it's it's not super serious right it's not trying to be a high art horror comedy i think it has a lot of the same kind of potential that edgar wright has when he was going through his horror comedy phase when he was doing hot fuzz and when he was doing Shaun of the dead Mm -hmm. where there's kind of this gratuity to it. But that's also Nick Cage's style. Nick Cage's style right. is a little bit gratuitous and a little bit artistic. Um, 
It's grandiose. It's grandiose. The scale of that movie is so huge. I think that with all of these movies, part of their reception has to come from the timing of them because it's very easy, especially now with the kind of dominance that a lot of the, you know, superhero movies have in blockbuster spaces. This movie, it's it's almost a superhero movie too. Renfield is oh, yeah. almost a superhero. So there's a little bit of competition placed against it. And so you have this trying to win out against a movie in a studio with a much bigger budget. I think that that plays a lot into how these movies are refused. I don't know if they're trying to win out. I think they're they're playing to that crowd more. And what's, what, actually, I don't even know about that because you look at the trailers for this movie and it really does not focus on the action. It really focuses on the humor and kind of the, like the dynamic between Dracula and Renfield. And that yeah. was what interested me in this movie in the first place. Like I, I wanted to go and see this in theaters. I window that it was in theaters came and went. And it was fast. Yeah. It, it was not in theaters for very long. Um, in fact, like I was going to go and see it. And literally the day that I was able to go to the theater, it was like, this is the first day that I was, pulled out but that dynamic like they really focus on like the support group part in the trailers and i remember in the trailer that that line of we're clearly dealing with more than narcissism here was pretty funny yeah like we said the casting is amazing in this, and the just the focus on building relationships between characters is really good yeah. i would be really interested to see some deleted scenes from this because i think that the i forget what her name is but the the mob boss mother <laughs> character yeah i bet there is probably a deleted scene that's a little bit more relationship building between her and teddy or her and dracula or giving us just like a little bit more of her because i think she's mm -hmm. a really intriguing character but we don't get a lot of her um maybe yes. something where we do see her have kind of like a little bit more of a rapport with the police department in some way yeah. i love that she's always wearing that white power suit yeah, I mean, she's clearly someone that's not to be messed with, right? We do get, yeah. in the way that that character presents herself and just the way she talks and the way that she does interact with other people. I think her and that white suit, honestly, are kind of a subtle nod to Scarface. It could be, could be, I, I can see it. Yeah, so this is a successful movie. I think that this movie works really well. It has a good mix of horror and humor because there are parts throughout that hit the horror, the tenseness kind of hard, especially when Dracula first shows up to the the meeting. That's one of those moments. Or where Teddy and his goons are down in the abandoned like sewer area where Dracula is. And the actual setting of that with the blood bags kind of like splayed out on the wall. It's it's almost like um, hunting trophies, you know, in like those old Victorian manners where they would like mount the heads of deer. It reminded me of a conspiracy theory map. Oh yeah, it does have that kind of look to it as well. But I, I like the throne nature of it. Right. That, I think, is, is very effective. It's like, okay, he's been... It also gives us a really good idea of how long he's been holed up there. Yeah. It's a cool setting. It's a cool set dressing. They also have all those dead bodies when Teddy Lobo comes in there with his goons, and mm -hmm. they're like, they're, they're trying to get Renfield because he killed Apache Joe. <laughs> it's a really funny line. <laughs> the guy cuts out people's tongues with a hunting knife. You tell him his name is racist. <laughs> Yeah. Which brings yeah. up a very good point. And I think that's like Teddy Lobo's first line in the movie. So you get exactly who his character is 
right away. And that also the the mob bosses are social justice conscious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at least the person he's talking to is. <laughs> which which is his mom, right? <laughs> it's also really funny, like just for, since we're talking about the mob or the crime family or whatever they are. I just love that the mob boss is a mom, but also yeah. it's usually like a patriarchal figure. So like, good for them. That is kind of. <laughs> Even though it's crime and they're bad people, it's still like, that's great. Yeah. But I also love that their base is like this totally inconspicuous, like gold plated, <laughs> like Roman. Yeah, like they're not trying to be subtle. And on your left, we have the Lobo Crime Boss family house. People, tourists snapping pictures. Yeah, it's it's definitely a money laundering front of some sort. Like they, it seems like they have some kind of business happening there. Like if it's a nightclub or something. Laundry. I don't know. It's literally just a laundromat with a really fancy lobby. It's a churro store. I thought you were gonna say it's a church. That actually oh. um, has a well, weird, chur- weird kind of truth to it. <laughs> I mean, most churches are money laundering. Yeah, they don't pay taxes. Well, it's funny, and in, in that's the only religion that we get is. Um, the priest in the beginning who gets blown up yeah, because of Dracula's so crazy powers in this movie. Yeah, he's well, he's just dealing with the priest's own self-inflated ego <laughs> by quite literally, literally inflating. It, well, I, I really liked that actually. How he just turns into smoke, and he does that later in in like kind of the last fight scene. He mm-hmm, does mm-hmm, that, like, mm-hmm. turns into smoke thing, which is not something that you really ever see yes. Dracula do. Yeah, no, it's great. His powers are just insane. And also, the um, it's really, really subtle, but there's the mirror placement mm-hmm. in Renfield's apartment where it's you should be seeing the back of Dracula's head through the mirror, but there's just nothing there. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's really, really, like, subtle, but there... There are things in this movie that I think are really subtle that are serious. I definitely didn't pick up on the first time I watched it, but really noticed a lot of the second time. Once you see it the second time, it's like, okay, this is more... It has a lot more nuance to it than you would first give it credit for. And I think that in the nuances of this kind of silly, goofy vampire movie, it holds up. Especially because we're kind of in a new era of vampire. We're like in the vampire era. We have this. We have what we do in the shadows. Oh, God. We got to talk about that at some point. It's not It's not really a horror, is it? But We have vampires in comedy. Yeah. They're coming back. I mean, I feel like what we do in the shadow has enough gore in it that it could be considered horror. It- I think that it's another one that straddles the line between horror and comedy with a comedy dominance, but it's very yeah, bleak. Course. It's it's dark humor because it's murder. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, it's really on the same caliber as this. Yeah, absolutely. With this being just more gore because it's not for television. What we do in the shadows? Ten it's out of ten. Very good show. Have you finished the latest season? Uh, nope, probably not. Have you started the latest season? Maybe. When did it start? I have no idea. We just finished it. depends it. I think it's been on... a I think it was over the summer, <laughs> actually. Uh, then I might have seen it, because I did get Hulu. I get Hulu exclusively to watch What We Do in the Shadows. It's so good. Because there's nothing else on Hulu I really care to watch. It started very much in like the office like documentary format. Mm-hmm. And it's become very plot-focused, actually, which is really cool. And I love how Guillermo has, like, become the main character. Uh, he's doing, um, he's Odie. In the upcoming Garfield movie. Chris Pratt is Garfield, so it's like... I hate that. Yeah. Hate it. I mean, what's, it's so funny, because it's like... 
he was cast well for the the Lego movie, right? Whatever the Lego movie guy yeah. is. It's like, yeah, sure. Okay, that one. And then they did... Lego um, Everyman. Yeah, because it's like, that's not an already established character. Same with Onward. Onward was fantastic. Yeah. He did great in that. I don't like him as a person, but he was a good casting choice for that character because he's not a character that ever existed before. It's really good dynamic with Tom Holland. And then they're like, hey, he's going to be Mario. <laughs> my my issue with that is there are a million extremely talented voice actors and they keep choosing the guy who doesn't do voices. Yeah. <laughs> he just is himself. I looked up Harvey, Harvey Julian and he actually did play George Santos on an episode of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert in a skit that they did. Oh, yeah, no, that checks out. <laughs> I love Stephen Colbert. So he's going to he's going to play him. He's going to win an Oscar. Thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. And if you're looking for a fun watch on a cold weekend, let me just say that Renfield is a fantastic movie. One to really sink your teeth into. I thought you were going to say some like completely unrelated movie. This is the chaos that you've introduced into my mind. Check out all the podcasts brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast, Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones and the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on the Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. 